Did you know that Nika AATC offers self-paced online courses on a growing range of topics aimed at helping you improve health outcomes for people with HIV? These interactive courses can typically be completed in about an hour and cover multidisciplinary topics such as smoking cessation in people with HIV, geriatric assessment and integration and models of care, managing difficult behaviors in HIV care settings, and using Zoom as a virtual workspace. Self-paced online courses are offered on RISE, Nika AATC's online learning platform. Courses are designed for healthcare providers providing patient care for people with HIV, including physicians, physician assistants, nurses, pharmacists, case managers, outreach workers, and other disciplines. To explore online courses for HIV care professionals, navigate to www.nikaatc.org slash rise-courses. That's www.nikaatc.org forward slash R-I-S-E dash C-O-U-R-S-E-S or click the link in the podcast episode description. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Breitman. Today, I'm sitting down with John Farragon to talk about some of the basics of resistance testing and interpretation. Welcome again, John. Yeah, thanks, Mariana. Happy to be here again. So tell us about HIV resistance. Is it as common as it used to be? Yeah, so I thought what we would talk about this week is just talk a little bit about resistance. And a common question that we get is, you know, what's happening with resistance right now? And um, I, I think it's a topic we haven't done in quite some time. But for those of you who have been doing HIV care for a while, uh, we certainly can certainly say that we see a lot less of these resistance issues compared to what we saw, you know, even, even 10 years ago. Um, but if anyone has a large panel of patients, I, I can guarantee that you do have some um, that are really likely in your clinic to be what we call resistance challenge. These people who have a lot of treatment experience and don't have a lot of options left. Um, luckily, we have very good medications now that we are using um, for HIV that have really made a difference from a resistance standpoint. Um, but some of these long-standing patients, those who may have lived through numerous older regimens, and also those who may have been perinatally infected, uh, still today have significant resistance that require multiple pills per day um, for HIV treatment. And how exactly do we look at resistance? Yeah, so this is kind of, it's kind of a hard thing to teach when we're just talking about it, but I just thought we'd go through some of the basics. Um, You know, there are, there are, um, there are places online that you can go that kind of walk you through some of this, but, you know, luckily, uh, Mariana, we have resistance testing. It actually can be very helpful for us to evaluate how bad resistance is for patients. So for example, we have different types of tests that can be used in certain scenarios. It really helps us to pick the best regimen for patients in, in these situations. Um, the most common resistance test that we use is called the genotype. And the genotype, I think, for all intents and purposes, for the vast majority of people, is what you're going to be ordering for people who need resistance testing. Um, there's different versions, but pretty much the standard genotype is what is what we would use. So what a genotype is, is basically what, what the way I simplify this is really, it's taking a picture of the person's virus that that's growing in that person. And it basically compares that to the original HIV wild type virus strain. So back in the day, when they worked out the genome of the HIV virus, they were able to say, this is where there are um, um, 
these are the basically the different genomes for the NNRTIs, NRTIs, PIs, and integrase inhibitors. And in that genome, um, any of the resistance changes, resistance changes that have occur or basically amino acid changes that can occur, the resistance test will actually pick those up. And so how this works is basically the test is actually going to show you those exact amino acid changes in the genetic structure of the virus for various sections of the virus. So when you get a resistance report, basically it'll tell you um, separately for the nukes, the non-nukes, the protease inhibitors, and then the integrase inhibitors, and it'll actually let you know what drugs will work or not based on the resistance mutation. So it's really, it's really kind of simple. It's really amino acid changes is compared to the wild type, what's changed in the resistant virus versus the wild type, and which drugs will work. And over time, we've developed information that this delayed, this data has been collected over the years. We know that certain amino acid changes can be associated with resistance to certain drugs. So the tests are really, I think, fundamental, I think, and really crucial in trying to select regimens for people who may have um, who may have uh, drug resistance. So if it's sensitive, it, the drug can be used. If it's resistant, it's unlikely to work. This is certainly an oversimpl an oversimplification of it because there are some nuances to it all, but it, but it is somewhat straightforward. Um, I'll just give you one example. This is just a classic one that we talk about the M184V mutation. So when you'll see when you see a genotype, you'll see a, a letter usually, a, a number, and then another letter. And so this is a perfect example, M184V. So what? So if you remember, the letters actually stand for different amino acids. And if you're if you're like me, you probably didn't memorize them all, or you memorized them for the test, but you might not know all of them. But but the bottom line, there's a letter for every amino acid that's actually out there that's actually part of the genome, right? So so like for example, if you see M184V, what it means is that the V, the second letter, has replaced the first letter, the M, at position 184. So if it said M184M, that's the wild type, but M184V is the is the resistant virus, which means that valine, the V, has replaced M, which is methionine, at position 184. So the second letter in the resistance in the in the in the M184V, the V, is basically the, the mutated virus that's actually changed, but M should be there, but V has replaced M. So that's basically all these numbers really mean. It's really simplified that it's really that easy. Um, so it's basically different amino acids in, in the sequence of the of the different of the different genomes or sections of the virus. And basically these different positions can either confer resistance and in some rare cases, some some of these resistance actually mutations can actually be detrimental to the virus. And that's a little too complex to describe today. But I think these are some of the main caveats of resistance testing interpretation, knowing that those numbers correspond to um, uh, amino acids, uh, the letters correspond to amino acids that are, and the number occurs to the position in that genome for, for that individual, uh, individual area of the virus. So how do we interpret the results? Is there a way for us to search mutations and the like to see if a drug will work? Yeah, so this is a good question too. So there are databases for us to use. So those of you who've been doing this, many of us are familiar with what we call the Stanford database. So this has been developed for many years. And what happens with this database is that when you search, if you Google search Stanford HIV database, there's actually a button that you can click on once you get to the Stanford website and you can actually plug in all the mutations. So then you basically analyze the mutations and then it provides you with an interpretation of that person's resistance patterns. And what it also does, what I think is nice, it provides a mutation score for each medication. And so just in general, the higher the resistance, uh, the higher higher the, the medication or the higher the mutation score, 
the higher, um, the less likely that drug is is going to work on that person. So where this becomes helpful is that let's say you have two drugs that are kind of, you know, you know, you're seeing partially sensitive or partially resistant possible resistance on some of them. If you have two drugs that are equal and you know you don't have any issues with um uh with resistance, you can potentially or any issues with uh, with drug interactions, you can potentially pick one drug over the other if the mutation score is is lower. But this is a, a nice way to to kind of um to kind of pick these meds is to is to use the lowest score mutation um when you're when you're trying to select them. And if you've seen these reports, you'll know what I'm talking about. It actually gives you that score. But but what if the, you know what if some of these meds what if it's likely to interact with the person's other meds so you you may need to go to another med so this is database is very good for this too um, you can also create uh, it actually allows you now to create a link to the interpretation so let's say one of the providers asked me as the pharmacist hey will you look at this person's resistance test I can actually go in and create a link to the interpretation after I plugged all the mutations in cut and paste it into an email and send it to the provider and they can look up, pull that up and actually know all the resistance mutations that are there. So again, really another tool, which is really very helpful for Stanford. Um, for treatment experience patients, Mariana, we, we really try to be uh, try to be using either Dolutegavir or Darunavir or Ritonavir uh, or Darunavir-Cobi, for example, boosted Darunavir in the regimen. And if you look at the the DHHS guidelines for, for HIV treatment, there's some guidance about treatment experience patients. And they talk about using, you know, two to three meds that are active at least. Um, and based on some of the DHHS guidelines, the, the two that are probably the most potent that we should probably make sure we're including is Dolutegavir or Darunavir cobicistat, or maybe even both. It depends on, you know, how, uh, you know, what the resistance patterns are, but really we, we try to do that. Um, Another database that's actually really, really good is is uh, one that I, I don't use that often, but some people use is called the HIV Assist. So this is a relatively new database that some people use and similar to Stanford and that you can put in the mutations and it'll help you um, determine what drugs can work. But I think what's cool about this HIV Assist is that you can put in some regimen characteristics. So let's say you know, the person saying that they definitely want a once a day regimen and it's got to be, you know, less than two pills a day, or it's got to include the following drugs. You know, you can put in characteristics that you want and it'll actually spit out kind of a, a list of, of regimens that, that might work. And, um, you know, it does help try to pick the, the, the key ones that are most important or that are going to be the work the best, but it helps you kind of decide that way too. So, so you can actually put in concurrent meds too. So for drug interactions, it's really helpful. It's a little bit more involved than Stanford, but it provides a regimens that you can likely use for that person. So it kind of gives you a more, um, I don't want to use the holistic the word, word holistic, but kind of a more um, patient-centered approach to providing these, uh, you know, the, the, these options. And then one final database is the IASUSA mutation card. Um, and I, saw, I say the mutation card, I don't even know if they print them anymore, but it used to be in a card. But you can actually go online and actually search this IASUSA mutations, and it actually has all of the mutations and what drugs will likely have resistance uh, when those mutations are present. Present. So this also can be helpful for for assessing genotypes as well. So basically, you have Stanford database, the HIV assist, and then there's this IASUSA mutation card. And obviously, you can use the patients, you know, the uh, the um, the labeling for the drugs can be helpful. There's kind of strange mutations that you haven't seen before. But um, I think most people probably use Stanford or the HIV Assist, but they're they're all really helpful in their own ways of, of trying to help to identify mutations and what drugs are going to work for that individual patient. Now, what else do providers need to know about HIV resistance today? Well, so the other issue that is sometimes um, 
hard to understand. We haven't really said this yet, but really um, uh, for the patient, if your patient has been with you forever and you have all the genotypes, it's fine. You can go back and look at them. But one of the things that's, that happens is sometimes you really need to contact other providers that, that have been taking care of the patient um, uh, to get other tests. There's also a way to do it through LabCorp. There's a way to search for old genotypes. You can either call them, and I think there's a database that you can go to. And you have, if you have a patient's name and a date of birth, you can generally get the info on old genotypes from them. But one more thing that's important for resistance testing, which we haven't said yet, but um, at least for the standard genotypes, which is what we, we, we run most of the time, you have to have a minimum amount of virus to amplify. So what that means is, if somebody's undetectable, the standard genotypes won't typically work. And even if your viral load is like 500, let's say, you may or may not get the genotype back. So one of the things that's that's kind of a hard thing to figure out is that if somebody's undetectable and you want to see what resistance patterns they have, the standard genotypes won't work because these are looking for circulating HIV RNA. So if you're undetectable, you don't have any circulating RNA in the blood, and it's a blood test, right? And, and there's no circulating RNA if you're undetectable you won't be able to use these tests. So really the best time to do a resistance test a lot of times is when somebody's on medications and hasn't really suppressed completely. So sometimes that that's a strategy that sometimes works where you do the resistance testing kind of in a in an awkward spot and saying, oh, I'm just going to start them on meds and then in two weeks I'm going to do a resistance test. And some people do that. Um, but luckily, um, some most of the providers, I think that have patients who are living with HIV, hopefully have had them for many, many years, and hopefully they have some of the old resistance tests when they may have been failing their regimen, and, and you can go back and look at all of them. But the important piece with all of this is that making sure you pull up all the resistance testing for an individual patient when you plug them into, into these databases. And so um, what, what happens if your the patient's undetectable then? What do you do? Like, well, how do you know? Like, let's say somebody's undetectable, you want to just want to switch their regimen for toxicity or for drug interaction reasons. In this case, there's another test called the archive DNA DNA test. Now this one, as I said before, the standard genotypes look at circulating RNA, but the archive is able to really look at HIV DNA in the CD4 cells for results. So it's a little more like a resistance history in some aspects, in some respects, but, but while the archive is helpful, just know that there's a lot of discordance where the mutations in the archives may not always reflect what's really happening. So there's this one study that was done even just recently looking at um, looking at patients with M184V for use of, of uh, dolutegravir 3TC. This was done in, done in Connecticut. I think it was Gary Blick was the author. But the, the concordance, you know, the, the, uh, of, of real M184Vs, you know, that's they're looking at in, in patients who had real genotypes versus those that had archives was only like 30%, 40%, real terrible numbers. So I want people to use caution when you use in the archive and that it's not always perfect. And, you know, for undetectable patients, sometimes it's all you can get, but it doesn't always correlate and it's not always a perfect test. And there's a lot of examples in studies where, where, this, uh, where this hasn't really kind of panned out to be a perfect test. Um, and then I guess the, the finally, um, the, the, the last test I'll just cover really quick is a drug, uh, is, a, is a test called the phenotype. Now, this is a common test used years ago. Um, that we don't see very much uh, anymore, but um, it would provide you a full change in drug levels that would help you um, uh, interpret interpret which drugs to to basically use. It's not used commonly now, but it was a helpful test back in the day before we had for the genotypes um, uh, for for treatment experience patients. We would use that in combination with a genotype. It was very helpful, and sometimes those clinical cutoffs 
that we had in in um in some of the phenotypes would help us determine whether or not we could use one drug versus an, versus another. I think they're used a lot less now. I don't, I don't think people are ordering phenotypes like they used to. You know, the genotype is really really key, but sometimes the phenotype can also provide some additional information. But again, not typically used used now nowadays. As we begin to wrap up, what are your final thoughts and key takeaways for providers about all this? Yeah, so I I I, I hate to say it like this, but I want to demystify resistance, right? It's it's not as it's complex, right? But if you know what tests to do and what databases can you can use to help you, it'll help you make decisions. But I want to make sure people that just don't miss the drug interaction piece when you're changing the regimens, you know, when you're going from one drug to another. Um, but also make sure that you use, you know, I, you know, phone a friend, right? So you can call people, you can call me, you can call your, your local ATC providers, you can call um, the CEI has a line, there's a line for, for, for us for the ATC, there's a national clinical consultation center, which is very helpful, um, local resources that you have that you know. But also find someone that you trust that you know is going to actually go through the work to make sure that they put it into the database to help you answer the question of what drugs to put people on is really the key. I'll also mention um, another plug for the National HIV Curriculum has really great information on resistance. And there is a nice section on there by David Spock. The third edition is out now. It's very, very good. And it's a great place to go. But don't forget the consultation center that you can call them. And they're not 24-7, but they're open quite a bit and, and uh, for, for most of the day. And they'll help you navigate some of these resistance uh, questions that you might have. But always, you can call your ATC you know, and, and get and get help from us, too. We're happy to happy to do that for you. And we actually get credit on our grant for clinical consultations, too, which really, I think, I think help us to kind of make that connection between the ATCs providing education you know, as it relates to, to treatment of your patients. We're happy to do that for you. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about some of the highlights of resistance testing in HIV and how to use them in patients to select regimens. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nikaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.